1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today.
2: Hey, Alarmy! Before we get started, we wanted to make sure you heard the big news. The Alarmist has joined Patreon. Patreon subscribers will get access to our content ad-free as well as our aftermath post-interview discussion and final verdict. We'll also be putting out additional bonus episodes and other fun stuff. Here's a preview of Guest Alarmist, where I step aside and let a guest walk us through a personal tragedy, and together the alarmist crew figures out who's to blame. This month, comedian and writer Jessica Eason tells us about her New York City no underwear extravaganza disaster.
0: I mean, I I, I just said it, but I feel like Sex in the City. I think yes. it steered me wrong. I think it made me think that I could have sex all the time, and we all lived in the same Manhattan, but they didn't live in the improv comedy world. There's no episodes of them with a bunch of nerdy white dudes.
3: No. I would
2: love to see that episode <laughs> where Samantha, I mean, that's a missed opportunity on their part where Samantha starts yes. taking an improv class. And oh, yes, no one wants to have like have sex with her.
4: <laughs> <laughs> or they all do. And she's like in a sea of comedy nerves.
2: <laughs> yeah. And she suddenly loses her libido. She's like, <laughs> I don't want to have sex. I don't know. It's really weird. <laughs> oh, my God. They break her. <laughs> Go to Patreon.com slash The Alarmist and subscribe today. Now, on to our episode. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. everyone. Thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the day the music died. Here's what you need to know. Just after midnight on February 3rd, 1959, shortly after they wrapped up a performance at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa, Buddy Holly, J.P. the Big Bopper Richardson. 17-year-old L.A. native, Richie Valens, born Richard Valenzuela, boarded a plane to get to Fargo, North Dakota. The plane would never arrive. The three burgeoning rock and rollers, Holly, Valens, and Richardson, were smack in the middle of a 24-day tour across the Midwest called the Winter Dance Party Tour. It was set up by the General Artists Corporation, the booking agency that represented the three acts. Throughout the first half of the tour, the buses they used to travel were unreliable and transport between venues was long and painful. There wasn't functional heat on the buses, and they often didn't have proper bathrooms or enough beds. Band members had to sleep in seats and withstand frigid temperatures, and guitarist Tommy Alsep even suffered frostbite. Frustrations reached a boiling point when, on their way to Clear Lake, the bus stalled in the middle of Highway 51, just 100 miles into the 440-mile drive. Band members resorted to burning newspapers and playing their instruments to keep warm and stay in good spirits while battling the frigid Minnesota winter. It would be several hours before a truck spotted them on the side of the road and alerted the local authorities. And the bus that replaced their broken-down bus didn't have working heat. When they arrived at their destination in Clear Lake, Holly decided he'd had enough of the treacherous travel by bus and he arranged a plane for him and his bandmates. Eager to join Holly, Valens allegedly won Tommy Alsup's spot in a coin toss and Richardson said he felt sick and talked his way onto the third and final spot on the plane. The seat originally meant for future country music legend Waylon Jennings. Holly, Valens, and Richardson boarded the Beechcraft Bonanza 35 plane piloted by 21-year-old Roger Peterson. Although Peterson was young, he had four years of flying experience. That night, however, Peterson was seemingly unaware of the inclement weather and the plane crashed just a few miles outside the Mason City Airport. The wreckage was discovered the next morning by Jerry Dwyer, the owner of the air service company. All four passengers were dead. The infamous plane crash that tragically claimed the lives of three young rock and roll musicians would later come to be known as the day the music died. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. The ill-fated flight cost $36 per person and only had three passenger seats. Just minutes after taking off, the plane crashed six miles away from the airstrip and skidded across an icy field for 558 feet. All four occupants died upon impact at around 1 a.m. on February 3, 1959. Because the plane didn't catch fire when it crashed, no one noticed the wreckage until the next morning. Richie Valens was thrown 40 feet from the plane, while Buddy Holly and J.P. Richardson's bodies were recovered 20 feet from the wreck. The youngest of the group, Richie Valens, had a career that spanned just eight months. Fans of the musicians have gathered for annual memorial concerts at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake since 1979. Buddy Holly had married Maria Elena Santiago only six months before his death. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside The day the music died With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is comedian and producer, director, Caitlin Cook. Hi, Caitlin. Hello.
5: Thanks for having me.
2: Now, Caitlin has a a woman bathroom graffiti musical. It's called The Writing on the Stall, and it runs off-Broadway at the Soho Playhouse starting September 6th, so by the time this comes out you'll have already started your run. Everyone has to hurry up and get tickets. Please tell our listeners about your show.
5: Oh, my God. I'm really excited about it. I can't believe it's it's starting so soon, or I guess by the time you're listening to this, it's happening. Wild. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but basically, yeah, I uh, I have always been obsessed with bathroom graffiti. I've been photographing mm. it for like 10 years. I studied art history in college and uh, I started getting really frustrated with how pretentious that world can be. And I, uh, at some point, I sat down in a bathroom and I saw written on the stall. It said, um, uh, since writing on bathroom walls is neither for critical acclaim nor financial reward, it is the purest form of art. Discuss. Mm. I loved that. I, as an art history major, I ate that up. I thought that was amazing. So I took a picture I started photographing all different kinds of bathroom graffiti. And then about maybe five, six years ago, I, as a musical comedian, decided I have all these wonderful pictures. I love found art. I'm going to make a song in which all the lyrics are, thi- are things that I've seen written on bathrooms that I photographed. So I wrote this one song. I like got this little foot pedal that like normally is used by like orchestral instrumentalists to like turn their <laughs> sheet music. And I was like, great, I'm going to use it to tell dick jokes. Um, and I have all of the, I have all the pictures and the, the lyrics projected behind me as I'm playing and singing the song. And that song did so well and got such a crazy response. Like people started sending me bathroom graffiti all the time Mm. and talking about this. And I was like, you know what? I have so many more pictures. I could write a whole musical. So I did. And uh, I have a song that's like men's versus women's stalls. I have a song that's like people talking to each other called Conversations with Strangers. I have a song that's all the poetic, sad things people have written, like the the whole gamut. And uh, the show is literally set in a dive bar bathroom. There's a toilet on stage. I treat the audience like we're women bonding in a bathroom, though anyone Mm. of any gender is welcome. It's really fun. And it's just a show about like, the our own stories and like human connection and like what's behind why someone wrote you know uh, something silly like I just saw um more people should be named Louisa and mm. I thought <laughs> <"That's a> good <laughs> name <laughs> why not who, who wrote that's that that's a why good not? showstopper <laughs> right
3: there
2: yeah Kaylin, <laughs> so, this sounds amazing this sounds you. so fun I hope I wish I was in New York City right now so I could come see your show because well, you honestly it
5: sounds great If you are in New York and you're listening, please come. Uh, If you want a discount code, you can DM me, especially if you DM me a picture of bathroom graffiti, I'll send you the even bigger (laughs) discount code. Um, But I am touring the show in the Midwest and the West Coast in the fall. And then... Great. Hopefully, I'm getting all the pieces together, but I'm hopefully going to be filming it in December. So really, maybe exciting. this will be
4: the way that you find the person who wrote that initial prompt that I sparked this whole journey know. for you.
2: <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. it's Louisa. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I <would love> that. <laughs> Kaylin, we'd like to start off the show by asking our guests, what is something that's recently alarming you? What's something that's keeping you up at night?
5: Oh, uh, I was listening to other episodes of this podcast, trying to decide what I was going to talk about, mm. and all the previous mm. guests took you can't my answer a little anything. cheating. Yeah, you it was a little steal. cheating. Yeah. I know. I'm like, all right, I won't talk about AI. I won't talk about climate change. <laughs> <laughs> Part of me was like, you know, what's really keeping me up is is my show. Is like the fact that the New sure. York Times is coming to the first day of the show. But really, honestly, what's also been uh, just really frustrating me and keeping me up is uh, what's happening in our political climate with uh, with the president being uh, arrested and and all of that that gobbledygook, you know. Mm. Mm. Yeah.
4: Mm. Not not the current president, just to be no. clear. right, 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 right. <laughs> former. In my president. mind, I was like, did I miss a major news cycle? Former president. <laughs> but yeah. in a
6: way, can I ask, can I ask Caitlin, in a way, is having that nonsense gobbledygook that's like feels so removed a way of you kind of taking the stress off of this very immediate thing that's happening mm. to you, like your show? Yeah, I think I find so. that, yeah.
5: I mean, like during the pandemic, I challenged myself to doing a song a day and i made it to 250 days and one of the like ways that i made it that far is like i would have kind of repeated songs that i had like a monday morning bad uh upbeat but still mostly bad news song that i did every Mm -hmm. monday morning and i would read the news and like it would be very cheery but like about all the terrible things that were happening sure (laughs) um And after, you know, 250 days and so much time of this, I got very oversaturated with like reading all of the news and just finding it Mm. so depressing. And so I have gone through phases over the past couple of years of like really, really getting involved in reading the news and then realizing that that makes me feel terrible and like dropping off a bit and then realizing I don't know what's going on. And it's such a hard balance to find. And so I think Mm -hmm. maybe now that I'm very overwhelmed with show prep and everything that I'm like trying to distract myself from this this impending big off-Broadway run by yeah. being like, let's go look at that terrible shit right now. Yeah. It'll make my show feel smaller. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it exactly. makes a lot of sense.
2: And yeah. maybe this will help, Caitlin. I think we should talk about the day the music died. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs>
3: let's do it.
2: Um, And I, I feel like we should start off by talking about the musicians because, yes. you know, these were... Uh, maybe almost as prolific as Kaylin. Um and <laughs> and but they they ha- they were able to to achieve so much in so little time, very very young the all, all three of them. Mm-hmm. Clayton, just before we hopped on, was saying, "You, you tell the story, Clayton." Yeah. You were showing the photos of the Big Bopper, yes. Richie Valens, and Buddy Holly to your husband. I was
4: going through this document, and there's just this really charming black and white photo of the three of them in our document of the Big popper Valens and Holly. And it had their ages and I couldn't believe how young they were. And I showed the picture to, to Mike and I said, how old do you think the Big Bopper is? And he goes, oh, I don't know, 38. I said, he's 28. <laughs> I said, what about this guy, Richie Valens? He goes, 42. 17. <laughs> he's 17 years old. And wow. Buddy Holly, he thought, was 35 and he's 22. So I don't know if it's just the sign of the times or the way they're addressed or just black and white photos, but or they maybe were young. it's because they
2: were they happened to be able to accomplish so much. Exactly,
4: you don't think they would die that young, having done so much.
2: Yeah, I think Pe- y- you're right. Let, let's
6: younger uh, people were much older back then. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: true. We're so uh, lucky now that we're
6: we're older people who are much younger now. Exactly, <laughs> that's literally what it is.
2: Yeah. No. Um. Big Bopper. So. He was, uh, to me, he was the uh, the lesser known. although I do know his music. Uh, The the Bopper wrote about 38 songs during his life and recorded 21 of them. Most of his recordings were classified as novelty songs that did not have a lasting popularity. His appeal was largely in his flamboyant stage performances. He wore checkered jackets and zoot suits, which we know about, Mm -hmm. and used a prop phone during Chantilly Lace to talk to his girl. (laughs) I highly Love recommend that. every uh, if you are interested to please look up uh, the big bopper singing Chan- chantilly lace
6: uh, over the phone.
2: Yes, it's really good. What a you novelty. can find it on YouTube. It, like uh, if you look up our archival footage uh, in nineteen fifty eight, he also made a pioneering video for the hit song and later coined the term music video for the production. In order to maintain his showman image, he did not wear his wedding ring in public and generally kept his marriage uh, a secret from his fans. The The couple had two children.
4: Imagine someone um, like that who was like pioneering the quote music video in like the MTV age, like older, like producer status, you know, like he could have been like quite the uh, innovator, producer, totally. creator. You just never know what they could have gone on to do.
2: He's such an interesting guy. You know, he started off his career by being a radio host, and mm. that's how he became famous. So definitely not a, a non-traditional start to, um, to his career which I find so interesting and perhaps why he was so charismatic. Sure. And-, and
6: and radio, for those of you who don't know, is like a bunch of podcasts, <laughs> like all mushed together in one. Mm-hmm. With ads
2: Happening in all at once, <laughs> and, live.
4: And, 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 and
2: You've heard of a live stream, right? Yeah. Yeah. So-
4: and we'd be your DJs, right? <laughs> that was a great song.
5: I feel like he must um, have been really charismatic too because we don't typically like when people who are famous in other careers try out music. Mm. True. True. That no, is, we really don't.
4: We like no. music going to. Uh, it's okay if like music yes. goes to other, but it's rarely does yes. other come to music and is that yeah. Successful. Yeah,
2: correct? <laughs> Gaga uh, can Ke- be nominated Ke- for a
4: Kevin uh, Bacon, for example. Nobody's
6: into the Bacon <laughs> brothers as much <laughs> no. as I think he is, but he loves it, so we well, support him.
2: Did uh, Selena Gomez did she start off singing or acting? I
4: well, feel like that's a- different. I feel like the Disney they're pipeline hybrids. is different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. They're like born okay. Okay. and raised doing music on their shows, and then mm. they like do both. Yeah, they're yeah they're like formed in a
6: lab. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: true. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's also talk about Richie Valens. He was seventeen when he died. Uh, this is from the Rolling Stones article. Despite being left-handed, the young musician mastered the right-hand guitar. At 16 years old, Richie Valenzuela, who still went by his birth name, joined a band called The Silhouettes as their guitarist and songwriter for a short stint. Their rendition of Malagueña? Originally, a Spanish flamenco song from the 19th century was an early testament to his forward-thinking approach, giving rural, traditional songs a rock and roll spin, spin while showcasing his impressive fretwork. Shortly after they began performing in the local L.A. circuit, the band was spotted by Bob Keene head of the delphi records he was who was impressed but only by richie the label signed him to a solo contract and rebranded him as richie valens keen reportedly felt that the name valenzuela was wouldn't sell at the time as it wasn't seen as being quote radio friendly or american enough mm. it's the 1950s yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes in case you were wondering yeah. <laughs> Um, Valen's debut single, The the Swing Rock Party Starter, Come On, Let's Go, instantly cracked the Billboard charts at number 42, but it was his second single, Donna, a timeless render ballad about the longings of teen love that became his breakthrough, peaking at number two. On the B-side was an even bigger hit, La Bamba, Mm -hmm. an unlikely Latin rock hybrid that became the first Spanish language track to crack the top 40. Originally, a Son Jarocho song from the 1930s... And a traditional Mexican wedding song in Valens' hands, it became an immortal rock hit. In a career that lasted just eight months, the teenage wunderkind managed to release five hits that entered the Hot 100, recording about two dozen songs in total. Eight months. That's I mean, I, I eight months is from now was November. <laughs> Like, November 22. What have you accomplished 22. since November? Right. I, n- I haven't come even close. I
6: don't want to ask Caitlin that because I feel like she's yeah, probably she done might. a lot.
5: <laughs>
3: she's right. like, well, I do have
5: uh, five I'm dozen. Not, I'm not 17. Okay, that's crazy right. to have that kind I, of success.
4: I know, so young. You're still, like, getting pimples on your chin and figuring out.
2: Yeah, he was, the, And you know, it's so tragic to me. All of these, these, you know, three uh musicians their untimely deaths is, are are so tragic and and Richie's for me personally is is you know he was the first latino rock and roll crossover mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and who knows what he would have been able to accomplish had he lived i mean even just 5
5: more years
6: i know really yeah. crazy
5: so sad and the
6: li- there are lyrics to La bamba, uh i found out later in life i used to think it was ba da 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 bamba <laughs> I but would just there say it was la 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 yeah. la bamba.
2: It's to dance, para yeah. bailar. Para yeah.
6: bailar <laughs> la bamba. In oh. order to dance the the la bamba?
2: In order to dance the bamba.
6: But uh, he doesn't You then have, go to on have to have a little
2: grace. Mm. Oh, I was... get, un poquito de gracia. A oh, little grace. You have to have a little grace.
6: <laughs> it's good advice, too.
2: It's good advice. Especially if it's your wedding and you're um, feeling a little nervous, Mm -hmm. you know, you just listen to the lyrics and you follow along to the instructions. (laughs) And that's Um,
5: why I'll do the hustle at my wedding. Yeah.
4: Nice. Exactly.
2: (laughs) And then uh, finally, there was uh, Buddy Holly. He was 22. This is from uh, New World Encyclopedia. 22? That's so young. I I know. (sighs) <sighs> Holly initially played fairly straightforward country music but incorporated more and more r and b elements into his music as time went on he was moving toward the synthesis of musical styles that would define early rock and roll when he attended an Elvis Presley concert in Lubbock in early 1955. By all accounts, the event made a huge impact on Holly who has taken with Elvis's was taken with Elvis's charisma and particularly with his energetic, exciting new sound. In 1956, Holly recorded about a dozen tracks of country music for Decca in Nashville backed by studio musicians. The music was despite several quality tracks, generally uninspired and, an ill fit for Holly, whose musical trajectory already lay outside of the confines of traditional country music. Unsurprisingly, the sessions and the singles that resulted uh, from them were unsuccessful. Undeterred, Holly returned to Lubbock to refocus his efforts. He He formed his own backing band, The Crickets, and began making records at the studio of musician and record producer Norman Petty in Clovis, New Mexico. Harry became Holly's producer and manager, signing him to Coral Records. And uh, he, there he uh, recorded That'll Be the Day That I Die, um, or it's just titled That'll Be the Day. And it would go on to be a hit single. He contacted publishers and labels, uh, Brunswick Records, ironically a subsidiary of DECA, signed the crickets and released That'll Be the Day in order to avoid potential trouble with DECA, which owned the rights to the song under Holly's name. So just to be clear there, because this will come into play later, he re-recorded the song with the crickets and re-released it so that it would have a shot at becoming a hit again, Mm. which later will play into um, residuals and Mm. why he eventually decided to break from the crickets. In 1958, that was an eventful year for Holly, uh, and his personal life. During a June trip to visit his music publisher in New York, Holly met Maria Elena Santiago. He proposed the day he met her and was married in August. Wow. So.
4: Things went <laughs> fast when you were younger. Quite the first
2: date.
4: <laughs> <laughs> they had less time, so they had to move quick.
2: <laughs> no phones. I think yeah. it's because, like, there, there
4: were no phones.
5: Yeah, so you're like, you hey, could... I'll never see you again. Exactly. Let's, <laughs> let's get married right now. That way, I can <laughs> confirm
4: that I'll see you if we're married.
2: Um, by this time holly had become more familiar with the workings of the music industry suspicious of manager norman perry's financial dealings and determined to take more control over his business concerns holly split with perry in november the rest of the crickets elected to retain perry as their manager leaving holly to work solely as a solo act he moved to greenwich village in new york city with maria and began preparations for the next phase of his career a lot was going on right before Holly decided to go on this fateful tour. Mm-hmm. So he was running out of money. He uh, had just gotten married. he It's so interesting to me how he... I, I feel like he failed. He came back. He failed again. He was starting to come back. This is like in a matter of two and a half years. Yeah,
6: what accounted for the fits and starts of his early career?
2: I don't know um, exactly why it's I think it's just it's part of the biz.
5: Yeah, i was going to say that's that's the music industry for you. You get a little momentum and then things fall apart. You're working with the wrong person or someone's trying to take advantage of you and you either stick with them or start over again.
6: Right.
4: Mm -hmm. The plight of the artist.
6: I guess, too, at such an early age, you're still kind of defining what. Kind of artist you are, Mm -hmm. and so if there are differences in the sort of early stages, they seem much bigger than probably they are. because you're so sort of precious with how you're being perceived.
2: I also think you're trying. You're still finding who you work with, you know, and it's easily to get take. It's easier to get taken advantage of when you're so young and you have left Mm -hmm. less life, you know, experience. Of course,
6: remember
4: uh, Elvis and his manager, who he met Mm -hmm. very young. Mm -hmm. Also, that's a good point, too, about, I mean, Buddy Holly was really taken by Elvis. Like, they were, this, like, rock and roll thing was, like, this new, exciting kind of, like, sensation. And everyone's trying to figure out how or where they fit into that. Like, nowadays, there's not as many, there's not, like, a new type of music that we're, like, oh, my God, how are the artists going to, like, align themselves in or around this? It's just, like. We have a new pop star, we have a new country star, we have a new whatever. Like it seems like things are more established, but this seems like a transitionary period. Harder to break into. Just very true. <laughs>
2: So we have to start putting things up on yes. the board. Yeah, yeah. We, have we haven't put anything. On the board. <laughs> this is unprecedented. This is what happens.
6: We took two weeks off and we forget how to do the podcast. I know. It's true. Uh, Caitlin, well, take over. <laughs> yeah, Caitlin, what right. the hell do we do here?
2: <laughs> we oh, got to put the faulty, a faulty bus up yes. on the board. Yeah. For sure. The musicians traveled in an unheated bus that frequent, frequently broke down. The tour hadn't even reached the halfway point, but Holly had tried uh, was had tired of the arduous late-night drives and suggested flying instead. This is from This Day in Music. Buddy was fed up with the chartered bus with its faulty heater, so before the performance, he asked the surf manager, Carol Anderson, about renting a chartered plane to fly him to his next destination in Moorhead, Minnesota. Anderson knew the owner of Dwyer Flying Service in nearby Mason City, whom he contacted to arrange the flight. Anderson was not able to get hold of the owner, so he called one of the pilots, Roger Peterson, who agreed to take Buddy plus two others
5: to Moorhead. Mm. Buddy, involved. you know everybody involved should <laughs> go up on the board <laughs> <All right.
6: laughs> Carol
5: Roger I mean Carol no,
6: Anderson yeah okay. we, we yeah. let's parse through them all let's get them all up
5: there <laughs> okay.
4: if it wasn't for the bus uh, this the plane crash Though it sounds like this was like a disaster waiting to happen the fact that they were in Minnesota in, during winter in a bus that didn't yeah. have a heater and like it's breaking down they could have just died of frostbite in the middle no of nowhere kidding.
2: don't get me started who About traveling during here? the winter.
4: I know. Oh, Who yes. Good manager.
2: question. Okay. A lot to put up. I want to put up uh, traveling during the winter. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because sh- should it be sucks. only for emergencies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um they referred to the show as the tour from hell Mm. they had traveled hundreds of miles each day and moved all of their own equipment and temperatures as low as negative 35 degrees fahrenheit no uh weather conditions caused one performer to be hospitalized for frostbite many others came down with the flu yeah holly was in a terrible mood i mean don't talk to me when it's below 60 honestly
5: (laughs) why didn't they decide to tour in like hawaii or i know you
4: just don't tour in the midwest in the winter if you don't have heaters and it's 1952 (laughs)
5: that's 59 it's
4: 1959 oh Oh, well seven years there was huge progress in the heat not really (laughs) stop
6: (laughs) by the way we we, you know the the tour manager's name
2: Reeb's? no i don't his
6: name is pat mason up okay. on the board, Put him on Pat. the board, he was responsible for overseeing the logistics of the tour. <laughs>
2: He's let's talk his about job. these. Yeah, yeah, bad at his job. Um, let's talk about these logistics because I do feel like the logistics and planning, the the planning for this tour was terrible, and this is something that I is a real pet peeve of mine. If you are gonna. <laughs> Logistics are important. Mm-hmm. Totally. This is from Smooth Radio. Long journeys between venues on the and on the cold and uncomfortable tour buses badly affected the artists who had flu, frostbite, like we know. After stopping at Clear Lake and growing tired by the conditions, Holly chose to travel by plane. The 3-week, th- uh, 24-date tour organized by General Artists Corp had zero regards for logistical planning the mm. date zigzagged across the upper midwest often backtracking over the previous day's journey this is bad all in rec- rec- reconditioned school buses mm. two lane highways 400 mile treks and negative 30 temperatures were standard holly historian bill griggs estimate estimates that the musicians changed buses five uh changed Buses five different times before reaching C- Clear Lake. Wow! So it's, it hasn't even gone been half of the tour. They've already gone through five buses. They broke down so often, and they would leave them standing y- stranded on the side of the road, and just hoping for to be able to flag someone down and get help.
4: So general this not artist not court travel. is definitely going on the board, right?
5: It sounds like just company. based on how the tour was going, that this is like. A low-key murder plot.
4: Seriously.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Completely. And um, you mentioned that uh, one of them got frostbite, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, and you tell me, Caitlin, as a a musician, how terrible is it to be under these conditions and have to like sing at the next venue? I mean, uh, most of them, two of the three performers got on that plane because they had
5: the flu. That's (laughs) crazy. First right. of all, I can't even play very well if it's too cold or sing very well. Like right, your hands like are your shaking. fingers.
4: Yeah. Like on the guitar, like how could you... You don't have like the it, mobility.
5: Exactly. It sucks. So the idea of like being sick and getting frostbite and exhaustion, it sounds awful.
4: Awful. And so
3: there's
2: do- nothing worse than being sick and then getting on a cold bus, like Oof. as if that's your recovery time. Mm. Horrible.
4: I wonder then, like, is that... I obviously General Autos Corp is on the board, but like, do we just put it's not just like poor planning, it's like a total disregard for I don't know how to phrase it, but it just feels like really, as Caitlin said, like a low key murder plot. Like, it's yeah. it seems really malicious, <laughs> it's just inhospitable.
2: It's you know, what is the most upsetting part to me about this tour about the logistics is the fact that they would go back and forth. I know yes. <laughs> that would drive me crazy so mm-hmm.
6: by that you mean they were they hadn't planned ahead to cluster locations is that what you're saying No.
2: well just the sure. fact that you're not going in a straight line toward right, a right, location right. you know right. an ending location yeah,
4: if you're going <laughs> right. back you're like why did we just stay here last week do yes. this venue before we moved on 400 miles in the broken yes. down school bus that's what i would be saying in the bus as my fingers froze
5: I've done that on tours before where I have a proper car that has heat and hotels and doesn't break down and it still sucks to double back. It's exhausting, right?
4: (laughs) Being on the road is exhausting even in good conditions. Like Mm -hmm. this is the constant, like moving, like unfamiliar situations, like Mm -hmm. the food, like everything's inconsistent. Like the body's like, what is my routine here?
5: Yeah, yeah. So it's very confusing. And then you have to give done... all your energy in the evening, and then you yes. just end up drinking or hanging out with people, and then having the adrenaline crash, and then it starts all over the next day. Not good. Uh,
6: not, not no great. way to live. Um, I have a suggestion. We've talked about this before. Okay. But America, the actual size of America. <laughs> okay. Because people are so um, in different, so many different locations mm-hmm. across the country.
3: Mm-hmm. That We're so spread it's out. It's just
6: not efficient. Like, yeah. you know, look at Australia, for example. They all live kind of on one side of that big, and then the whole rest of basically the entire island
4: is kind of empty. It's just desert,
2: <laughs> desert. Isn't it better, though, to I spread out in terms true. of resources?
4: Sure. Um, but, like, really, America should just be 50 different countries, like, where each state is so freaking huge. Should we
3: just so, we shouldn't travel. Shrink it. Yeah. yeah. Hey,
4: Earth, can you do that? Yeah.
6: Let's do that. So, but yeah, maybe the America's big, un- unwieldy, yeah, a size. Of okay. America. Okay. Sure. We'll put
2: that up on the board. <laughs> I also want to put uh, the lock- luck of the toss.
6: Okay. Yeah. This is tough.
2: Two of other members of the group had the option to fly with Buddy Holly at $36 per person. Dion didn't want to pay, but Waylon Jennings was keen to fly with Buddy, but exchanged a seat with J.P. Richardson because he had a colt. That's uh, the big bopper. Mm -hmm. Tommy Alsup was included in the group, but Richie Valens offered to flip him for the seat since he was ill. The local host of the Winter Dance Party, Bob Hale, flipped the coin. Richie called heads and won the toss. Years later, Tommy Aslop would open a dance club named The Heads Up Saloon to commemorate his life-saving coin toss. Wow. In wow. his nineteen ninety-six autobiography, Whalen Jennings stated that he was disappointed that he had to ride in the freezing bus. So his parting remark to Buddy was, Quote, I hope your damn plane crashes. Whoa. Jennings said this his this remark has haunted him ever since.
6: Wow. And I will but I will say because we, I just happen to have the Waylon Jennings autobiography. Rebecca and I were sort of thumbing through it this morning. And that comment was prompted by, I believe, was prompted by Buddy saying to him, uh, I hope your bus freezes, mm. like as a joke.
2: No uh, yeah I hope your bus breaks down or something. I hope your bus yeah. breaks
6: down or something, and Waylon goes, ah, I hope your plane crashes so Man. you know it, it was a tete-a-tete. It wasn't any kind of I, I just don't want that to be misunderstood. No. of course oh, no. but the the, of- the,
4: the, the the um I, I think anyone can empathize with saying something of like course. that, and then that actually yeah. happening and that haunting bad you would for feel years about it. yeah oh
5: Oof. yeah, even if it's joking or so seriously angry that you weren't on the plane, like your words do not cause. Actions in that way. No, damn, damn, would it haunt me? <laughs>
0: yes,
5: Kaylin, yeah. yes.
2: I, I, I think you're right, and I don't think we should ever say, "I hope your ex crashes." Yes,
3: <laughs> right. I mean, you
2: know, insert your right. whatever you're Mount traveling: Lungeons, train, right, airplane, different. car, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bike. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's that, you that. know, right. You know, yeah. let's remove that. Let's let's not say <laughs> those things. No, no. Um, Music industry. Can we put that up on the board?
4: Okay, do tell.
2: In November of 1958, Buddy Holly terminated his association with the Crickets. According to Paul Anka, Holly realized he needed to go back on tour again for two reasons. He needed cash because the Crickets manager, Norman Petty, had apparently stolen money from him. And he wanted to raise funds to move to New York City to live with his new wife, Maria Elena, who was pregnant. The 1959 tour began in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, on January 23rd with the performances in Clear Lake, Iowa on February 2nd being the 11th of the 24 scheduled events. So he was running out of cash and, you know, it, the music industry is
5: tough. horrible, And it...
3: <laughs> <laughs>
5: tell us more <laughs> oh man I mean just I mean look at one of the most successful artists right now is Taylor Swift and she's mm-hmm. re-recording her albums because she didn't own them like right. it's crazy how it's... the music industry just like sucks the life out of this thing that you create and then you don't own it and you get terrible residuals and um, and then you basically the way to earn money is going on tour is selling tickets and like right merch which i don't think was really a thing back then so that's how you have to do it and clearly he felt like he needed to do this terrible murder plot of a tour
2: yeah and mm. and he wasn't a similar i mean i don't know exactly similar but similar situation to the taylor swift uh saga and 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 what she's going through where he had been a p- uh, part of a band he had recorded his songs that he had previously recorded with this new band, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden he didn't have all of the ownership of the, mm-hmm. of his songs, you know, yeah. and he was getting screwed over by this manager, and he was having to reinvent himself in in this way. And like you said, it you do crazy things when you need the, the money, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs>
3: yeah,
5: and it's and only got. Da- new only... wife <laughs> is pregnant. Come on, right? You know? Yeah, right.
2: the stakes are high. Yeah, so yeah. touring. It's the only way to make money, apparently, in the music industry. So poor weather conditions mm-hmm. obviously has to go up on the board. Sure. Um, they were a contributing factor. Um, and uh, that's why the plane essentially went down. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have to put, sadly, the uh, Peterson, who was the, uh, Roger Peterson, who was the pilot of the plane Mm -hmm. this is from uh people and and we should also put his lack of experience you know up on the board okay it's from people magazine the flight took off at 12 55 a.m on february 3rd and crashed into a cornfield about five minutes later with the cause believed to be weather induced error on 21 year old pilot roger peterson's part He wasn't trained to fly in such poor conditions, which led to the crash that killed Holly. Smooth Radio said the official investigation was completed by the Civil Aeronautics Board, CAP, revealing that Peterson had over four years of flying experience. However, he had passed only his written exam and was not yet qualified to operate in weather that required flying solely by reference to instruments. Hmm. He and Dwyer Flying Services were certified to operate only under visual flight rules, which required the pilot to be able to see where he was going. Mm. However, on the night of the accident, visibility would have been impossible due to the low clouds and zero ground lights. Hmm. The cab concluded that the accident was due to the pilot's unwise decision to embark on a flight that required instrument flying skills he did not have. Now, this is going to get a little technical here, but... uh Hear me out. This is from This Day in Aviation. At 11 55, the, the night of the plane's crash, a, wev- a weather briefer advised Peterson of 5,000 foot ceilings, 10 mile visibility, temperature of 15 degrees, dew point 8 degrees, altimeter setting of 29.90, and wind south 20 knots, gusting 32 knots. However, when he called again less than an hour later, the ceiling had dropped to three thousand feet. Sky obscured, six mile visibility, light snow, lower pressure. Technically VFR, but conditions were obviously deteriorating. Plus, it was night. That to the me plane, is like
4: we're done. Sorry, yeah. guys.
2: <laughs>
5: we're calling it. I'm still,
4: <laughs> I'm still taking my exams. <laughs>
5: Get back on your cold bus. <laughs>
4: yes, <Yeah>, sorry, but
5: <laughs> sorry.
2: Um, as as the the plane as well was well equipped for instrument flight. The attitude indicator, an F3 attitude gyro, however, displayed pitch attitude in a way that was different than the indicators used in the airplanes in which Peterson had taken instrument flight instruction. This is important. Investigators concluded that as Peterson flew away from the airport, he entered an area of total darkness, unable to see anything, which would give him a visual cue of the airplane's flight attitude. The unfamiliar attitude indicator may have confused him. He quickly became spatially disoriented and lost control of the Bonanza. So essentially it's possible that he he might've pushed this, um, this instrument that he wasn't used to using and that actually worked the opposite way mm. of the instrument he was was used to using, and he could have thought he was going up, but it's really he was just bringing the plane down mm. wow,
4: and how terrifying to be must have been. suddenly like in a blackout situation where you're totally i mean the so disorienting, I also just want to sit, like. In this pilot's defense, I guess, like imagine you're like this young 21 year old pilot Mm -hmm. and like three rising stars are like, Mm -hmm. please, like we gotta, we need to get to the next town. And like, who wants to say no to them? They're like stars and they're exhausted and they probably were so grateful for the, the ride. Like you don't want to disappoint them. So it's like a real sad kind of social emotional situation. I don't know how you encapsulate that, but
6: yeah what how do you encapsulate that?
2: It's the social pressure the pilot must have felt right
4: social pressure where you
2: can't say no, not feeling like you can say no
4: or not just wanting to like disappoint it's almost just yeah like,
2: disappoint
4: uh, it's know. a
2: bummer it's a it's a real sad um,
3: yet, situation. pilot
4: like he's people pleasing fan pleasing I don't know I don't know. <laughs> The pilot's good nature. I can't believe <laughs> that. Certainly not going to put that on the board. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can put it we'll up. Skip. No, we'll skip that one. Sure. <laughs> um, and finally, I think the the pilot weather briefers go up okay. on the board. Um, this is from Plane and Pilot Magazine. I didn't know there was one, but there is. <laughs> Cab didn't put all the blame on Peterson, however. According to the report, the briefers failed to advise him about worsening conditions along his route, as well as two critical National Weather Service flash advisories. This lack of information may have led him to underestimate the severity of the weather. Investigators believe he entered IMC shortly after takeoff and attempted to to make an ascending turn to climb up and over the clouds, he mistakenly descended instead. The plane impacted the ground around 170 miles per hour. Um, mm. So it's possible that had he had all of the information from this National Weather mm. Service that it, it, he could have thought it wasn't as big of a deal as it was.
6: Sure. So there was bad weather and then there was bad, more bad weather on the way.
2: And there was bad relaying of Mm -hmm. uh, bad communication. Right, right, (laughs) right, right,
6: right. right. All right. Yeah. We got to put them up on the board. What do you call them? The briefers. They're
2: called pilot weather briefers.
4: Hmm. I also just feel like there's maybe room on here. It just seems like there was a lot, like a lot had to come into place. A lot of bad things had to kind of collide. Collide. Mm -hmm. in order to create this really dire situation that just, like, Mm -hmm. was very vulnerable to tragedy, you know? It's, Mm -hmm. like, it's the exhausted stars. It's the, like, constant broken-down buses. It's the poor management uh, by the planners. It's the bad weather in a wintertime tour that all just lends itself to, like, something's (laughs) bound to go wrong here, you know? Mm -hmm. Like
5: Yeah. A lot had to happen to make this, like... Come about because, like, everyone was fighting for a spot on this plane. Like, yeah. they really wanted it. Yeah.
4: So, what is that? Is that just? Is that like?
5: Is know. that
2: fate? Is that when?
4: Well, I, I don't I'm know. I, I'm reluctant to say it, but
6: I do think that it's the part the job of this podcast to to blame one thing. We have to no. pick one thing. It's true. So, it's true. I mean, I, I I do agree that it was a. Um. yeah, it was a colliding of a lot of different mm. factors.
2: So but. we'll have to okay, so then let's I feel like we have a good board. We're running out of time. Let's take a quick break and then we'll pick one thing well, off the board.
6: Before we do that, before we do that. Yes. I, I hate to do this. Uh-oh. But should we put Buddy Holly on the board? What? Whoa. Because he was the one who called for the plane. Okay. Mm. And this sucks. I don't want to do this. But if I'm looking at the sequence of events, the, the decision to, to get on a plane instead of staying on the bus uh, was, was Holly's. That's sure. true. Let's so put him on so we can take yeah. him off. Yeah. I Thank
5: think you, Caitlin.
2: So. <laughs> that's, that's exactly where I was
5: <laughs> going to go.
2: <laughs> okay. Now let's take a quick break and start knocking things off the board
6: Who's to blame for the day the music died? A faulty bus, traveling during the winter, Pat Mason, the tour manager, General Artists Corporation, irresponsible and inefficient tour planning, America's unruly size, (laughs) luck of the toss, the music industry, poor weather conditions, pilot Roger Peterson, Peterson's lack of flight experience, the weather briefers, or Buddy Holly
2: great let's take buddy Buddy. holly right (laughs) off that list thank you for
4: that chris rejecting that that suggestion
6: i I, look sometimes i have to you have to play the bad guy in this in this scenario and 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 we have to consider all the factors but he's off it's possible that buddy holly's
4: ghost might be like in like good spirit but like it's my fault you know i'm sorry guys and everybody's like no 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 it's not your fault it was it was a terrible tour you know <laughs>
6: yeah. That's true. That's true.
4: Hopefully, the ghost of Buddy Holly will listen to this podcast. Uh,
6: mm-hmm.
2: Oh, that's so sad. Thinking about what his ghost feels. Do they get podcasts
6: kind of in heaven? Sure, they I'd do. Like to think so. <laughs> They're just making. Everyone's making podcasts. Everyone happens to make a podcast too.
4: <laughs> Overrun.
2: Angel podcasts. Mm. Um a lot of these things can fold into one another mm-hmm. like i feel like the irresponsible and inefficient tour planning goes uh under the tour manager pat mason okay general th- Artist corp that was the touring company yes
4: Is yeah
6: that what that no that was? that was
5: the oh the bus company they
4: were responsible for all the logistics
6: no I mean, no 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 i feel they like were uh
5: yeah they the, were the bookers the, the,
6: they were the bookers. the bookers. Booking agency. Yeah. Right. Mm. I feel so like partially.
5: Irresponsible and inefficient tour planning is the umbrella head. And under that goes like the faulty bus, the bookers, the tour manager. Okay. Yeah, so I, then make I, that the main thing we're blaming. Yeah, the, the America's unruly size. Like a lot of things filter into that. It's a bad I tour. I like
2: that. Irresponsible I like and
6: inefficient tour planning. I, I so, agree. I totally agree. So, and we're putting so what else under that?
4: Pat
2: Mason goes the under tour there. Manager, the, yeah, the, bus, the company, the bookers.
4: Sure, sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Traveling the, yes, during the, the winter. That's true. I know. Although, just let it be known. Don't Should, travel just, during the winter. Don't travel. It's icy roads. Anything can happen out there.
6: You're in some small town in Iowa, and like, what's going on? I mean, now you have (laughs) lots of different entertainment, but at the time, you didn't have much. And you hear about Buddy Holly coming to town, like you know, a hundred miles away. I
4: would get in the car and go out
6: there. I'd be so excited. Let's get
5: more people on the road in faulty buses and
4: cars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, to that point, the locals know, like. People who live in those conditions, they know how to do it. They know how to drive when mm-hmm. not to. They, they have the, So like if point. you're going to plan a tour in the winter in Minnesota's and Iowa's, hire people who know how to drive and know how to, you know, traverse that terrain mm-hmm. and get your mm-hmm. stars there safely. If they're the people who are making you money and isn't everything always come down to making money, protect mm-hmm. the thing that's making you money. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to get rid of luck of the toss because yeah. I feel like that speaks only specifically to the people who were on the plane, but the plane was flying regardless. Sounds That's like true. right, true.
2: Yeah.
6: Plus, it was just one seat. It was exactly just one
4: seat. no,
2: mm-hmm. but two seats. The two seats. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. The other one, uh, he just offered.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said he was yeah. sick. Big yeah, Bopper was Jennings like, I'm sick. Was just, so he just got it. Yeah. it to him. yeah. Oh gosh.
2: Uh. Okay. Poor weather so conditions.
4: What? Do we put that under the insufficient <sighs> and irresponsible planning? Well, the, the weather well,
6: that... is is an X factor, I feel. Um, mm-hmm. you know, sure. Not only, I mean, winter, you know, you expect certain weather in the Midwest, but mm-hmm. kind of like a crazy storm. The weather, yeah. Right. The weather that took the plane down.
2: So we're taking that off?
6: Well, no, I was no. saying it's, it's oh. distinct from yeah. the tour planning pe- is what I was saying. Yeah, you okay. can't really
4: plan for that.
2: I, I feel like we can fold the, the pilot into his lack of experience. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Peterson yep. into lack of experience. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: And the the weather briefers, to me that's pretty egregious. The fact that
4: <sighs> Yeah.
6: They if that wasn't conveyed. Mm-hmm. That it would be
2: that is your job, right? To make sure that people have all the information they need in order to make all the decision, you know, safe decisions. Right. Is
4: that them not, resp- like, is that them dropping the ball because they were like, oh, hey, we should let that one little pilot know that, like, the, th- the conditions have changed? Or was it his responsibility to, like, recheck in with them before he takes off and be like, hey?
2: I don't know. Like- but I do feel like had he had more experience, he might have taken, maybe he wouldn't have been so not that he was flipped with it, but uh w- with um the information he had, but maybe
4: we are taking taken more seriously. Know,
2: exp- yeah, maybe sometimes when you have more experience, you're like, oh, oh, this could really go bad.
4: I know. I would just I would think it's interesting to the thing I was talking about earlier where he doesn't want to let down these stars who are like we're so happy to be on this plane. At the same time I wonder if you feel like such a heightened level of responsibility because you feel Mm -hmm. like you're flying precious cargo or something. You know, it's like not that any life is more or less valuable, but like the nervousness of like, okay, these are important people. I don't want to mess up this Mm -hmm. experience, you know, like that psychological factor.
5: Celebrities lives are more valuable, though. We know that. (laughs)
4: Let's be honest. Monetarily. <laughs> Let's be honest about it. Monetarily. Yeah.
6: It's important that we <laughs> tell the truth here. It's just true.
5: No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So then...
4: So do we, we want to go with are this, Are we keeping Rebecca? the weather briefers then? I
2: think we take the weather briefers off.
4: Okay. Okay.
2: You, what do you think? You think it's... Mm-hmm. I, I. I think ultimately...
4: I mean, I feel like they already... Yes, they could have given more information than they should have, but I feel like the information was already kind of bad enough.
2: Yeah, that's what I think as well. Yeah. So, so then we're left with the irresponsible and efficient tour planning, the music industry in general, mm-hmm. uh, poor weather conditions, and Peterson's lack of flight experience. I'll tell you where what I'm leaning towards. I'm leaning towards... Bla- sending irresponsible and inefficient tour planning to the alarmist jail and slapping Peterson's lack of flight experience
6: so if the if you're slapping Peterson's lack of flight experience, are you slapping what are you slapping there like his decision to take on the flight or the or yeah, the, to the take company's joint decision to take joint
4: so it's almost assign- like his pe- poor judgment. Then you're kind of like slapping his his lack of judgment in this moment.
2: Yeah, That's so sad. It's one of the it, victims. It
4: feels a bit odd. Like I feel like we can
6: teach the music lesson, the music industry a lesson here. Like we have an opportunity <laughs> to address the. I mean, really, the the you When you put your artists in this type of situation mm. and sort of force them in a way like you know Caitlin was saying before to like the only way they can really make any real money is is on tour yeah. or merch, which sure yeah.
2: what do you think, Caitlin?
5: I mean, while I would love to slap the music industry real hard Mm -hmm. across yeah (laughs) um and poor weather conditions certainly played like a huge factor both Mm -hmm. of those things are like not regularly causing plane crashes like they happen Mm. all the time um Mm. the music industry sucks um i think like the music industry sucking is, like, a reason for the irresponsible and inefficient tour planning. But, like, right. you know, you could have a successful tour. They could have planned it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of feel like, yeah, the irresponsible and inefficient tour planning is was what caused them to, like, need the plane in the first place. And, yeah. like, unfortunately, as much as I don't want to blame the pilot because he also died, and that's horrible, like, he shouldn't ever have piloted this flight. He didn't even though he'd been flying for four years, he didn't have like any of the didn't he only pass like one training or something? Yeah, he didn't.
2: He had passed the written exam, but not the 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 one that he needed.
5: Yeah. (laughs) And and the one the weather breathers were like cautioning against. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I think it just also speaks to his like immaturity and I don't mean that like you're so immature just like he just lack of experience exactly that like he just didn't have the best judgment for someone of that age and of that training to be like hey guys I know this is going to be really disappointing to you but I have to call it for safety versus like just Mm -hmm. wanting to please and like do the job and you know what it sounds like the music industry is just like the, the music industry sucking seems like that's just been a constant. So yeah, it's I like, mean, I
5: really do. I feel disappointed in that choice, though, because I would like to slap the music industry and yeah. send it to jail.
2: <laughs> well, maybe the music industry is like the fashion industry, and it's something that we as uh, the alarmy in the Alarmist community can really target and try to get in the Alarmist. Sure. Now, I know this is a backward way of doing this. This is not... Well, how we
5: should be doing.
4: But it. we're on but to you. Maybe, we're coming for yeah. you, baby. <laughs> Watch out. We got our eye on you.
5: Well, it's All like right. there's nothing we can do about irresponsible and inefficient tour planning now that we're in the future or right. about right. his l- lack of flight experience, but we can take action against the music industry.
4: That's a great point.
5: Yeah. I like
4: that. Yep.
5: Okay. I'm going to call it. Peterson, the pilot, his lack
2: of flight experience, you're getting the big slack irresponsible and inefficient tour planning you are going to the alarmist jail there's something very satisfying to me about sending poor logistics to the alarmist jail <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> yes.
4: i mean it can make or break an experience it really can
2: <laughs> truly um, well, Caitlin, I, I wish you all the best on your in your run. And I know it's going to be a huge success. Thank you so much.
4: If you need
6: a tour planner, I- do not use the yeah. General Artist Corporation. Yeah,
5: <laughs> fantastic. Yes. Send me where to go in the Midwest and West yeah. Coast friends because I am planning a tour around there right now. And it is hard. It's exhausting. I don't yeah. want to double back at all, you know? I want to right. go in a straight line. Well, so. have you thought about shrinking the United States? Yes, I you have do that. thought about it and <laughs> I'm just waiting for the funds for like my shrink gun. You know? Good. Oh, okay. Which I'll get if the music industry ever changes and people actually like buy <laughs> albums instead of streaming mm. them, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. All
2: right. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll 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 get them. Don't we'll worry. Work on that. Yeah. We'll work on that. <laughs> Thanks,
5: Caitlin. Thanks for having me.
2: In the aftermath, astonishingly, the Winter Dance Party tour carried on with Jennings and Allsup. And although the impact of these three artists and the loss felt by their tragic demise cannot be appropriately captured, it was most famously memorialized by Don McLean's 1971 classic American Pie, in which he coined the phrase, The Day the Music Died. The Alarmist is now on Patreon. Subscribe and get ad-free content along with bonus episodes. Go to patreon.com slash thealarmist or check out the link in our show description. Visit our website, www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at thealarmistpodcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clinton Early with editing by Molly Hockey.
0: Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Producer and researcher, Crystal
2: Dinsberg. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith. Stay tuned because next week we'll be discussing the Lorena Bobbitt case. The Alarmist.
3: Powered by ACAST.